Bibles in the first place this afternoon to the gospel according to John, John chapter 19. We'll read verses 28 through 30 before turning over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we continue along in our study through our confession of faith and what we confess concerning God's justice and mercy as they are revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 19, being at verse 28, and reading to verse 30, this is God's holy word. Now after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar, of, a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's turn also to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading at verse 11. Second Corinthians 5 at verse 11, reading to verse 2 of chapter 6. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again by giving you a cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to give an answer to those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's turn also to Article 20 of our Confession of Faith, page 862 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, 862.
Article 20, the justice and mercy of God in Christ. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent His Son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed in order to bear in it the punishment of sin by His most bitter passion and death. So God made known His justice toward His Son, who was charged with our sin, and He poured out His goodness and mercy on us, who are guilty and worthy of damnation, giving to us His Son to die by a most perfect love, and raising Him to life for our justification, in order that by Him we might have immortality and eternal life. This the church of Christ does believe and confess throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can probably tell by now how these articles of our confession seem to be building off of one another. These articles of our confession are like individual links of a single chain as one article leads to the next. Our confession has taken us from the creation and fall of man now to the birth and death of the second man. We've seen how God chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world without any consideration of our works. And we've seen how in real time God began to carry out that plan, seeing that we had indeed plunged ourselves into sin and misery and made ourselves completely miserable. We saw how how God set out to find us, though we were trembling all over and hiding from Him. And how God comforted us with the promise to send His Son, born of a woman, and to make us blessed. And so Christ, we've seen, has come into the world. He who was in heaven came down from heaven and was made man in gracious condescension. The person of the Son took upon Himself a, a real human nature. So that by the power of His divinity, He might bear in His humanity the wrath of God against the sin of the human race. And that's where Article 20 picks things up this afternoon. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent His Son to assume our nature in which the disobedience had been committed. And why did God do that? in order that he might bear in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. And so here in this article of our confession, we discover the same thing that the Apostle Paul was getting out when he wrote to the Corinthians so long ago. Namely, that God's justice and mercy need not be pitted against each other, as though God can only be one or the other. For he is perfectly merciful, and he is also very just. And this is what God has revealed to us in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was there at the cross that God's justice was made known toward His Son who was charged with the sins that we committed. And it was there at the cross of Christ where in virtue of that reality, although we deserved it not, it was there that God's goodness and mercy were poured out upon us. All this, you could say, is summarized in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made Him, He made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness 
of God. Some of you may know, Reformed theologians have often spoken of this verse as describing the, the great exchange, our sins imputed to Christ and His righteousness imputed to us. This is the gospel in summary, isn't it? That God does not deal with us as our sins deserve because He has already dealt with them at the cross of Christ. All of our sins, says the prophet Micah, have been cast down into the heart of the sea, never to be dragged up again. The enmity between God and us has been taken away. The dividing wall has been torn down. For if anyone is in Christ, says Paul, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this, says Paul, all this is from God. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And so we see in the first place this afternoon that the author of our reconciliation is none other than God himself. And this indeed is an amazing reality because here we discover the author of reconciliation we know is the, the very same one whose holiness was enough to cause Isaiah to say, I am undone. You may know the words of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am unraveled, said Isaiah. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen who? My eyes have seen God. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This God of whom we sing, holy, holy, holy. This God who hates sin and who cannot tolerate sin. This God whose glory we have tried to steal for ourselves. This God whom we put to the test all the time. This God who is perfectly just and altogether holy. This God is the author of our reconciliation. He himself is the author of this great drama of redemption. All this is from God, says Paul, who through Christ was reconciling us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Perhaps that word, boys and girls, the word reconciliation is a word that you haven't heard before, but reconciliation, boys and girls, simply means to bring about restoration in a relationship that has been broken. To be reconciled, boys and girls, means that two people who used to be enemies at, at, at odds with each other have now been made the closest of friends. And so to have reconciliation with God means just that. Now, boys and girls, we know that, that in our sin we fell in the garden. We made ourselves enemies of God. In high-handed rebellion we sinned against Him. We joined the army of Satan. 
We aligned ourselves with the devil, the prince of the power of the air. We became God's enemies. And we know that if God wanted to, he could have simply wiped us out in an instant. He could have wiped out that entire army in an instant. But in his grace and kindness, God himself set out to reconcile us unto himself. He set out to restore the relationship that we ruined in the fall. And boys and girls, this is why, this is why Paul says all this is from God. Because from first to last, the apostle recognizes that our salvation is all of him. Our election, our justification, our reconciliation is entirely his work and not our own. And we see that throughout this passage. Some eight verbs follow one another in this short paragraph in verses 16 to following, all of which have God as their subject. And what all these verbs have in common is that they describe for us how ours is the God who takes the initiative in bringing about this reconciliation. We read about God reconciling, about God giving the ministry of reconciliation. We read about God entrusting, God not counting our trespasses, God making His appeal, God imploring, God making Him to be sin who knew no sin. Congregation, no mere man in the history of the world would have dared to dream up a salvation as grand as ours. But this is precisely what God has done. He has authored for us this great path to reconciliation upon which we ourselves bring nothing of our own to the table. As one pastor has said, all this is of God, and the only thing I bring of which I contribute to my redemption is the sin from which I need to be redeemed. In other words, we bring nothing. Even the best of our works of Isaiah are as filthy rags. This is what Paul is so powerfully highlighting for us here, that although we bring nothing, God has given us everything in this great exchange, imputing all our sins to Christ and imputing all Christ's righteousness to us. And this God has done according to His own good pleasure. We see that as well. That while I've already described these verses as detailing what we call the, the great exchange, others have done equally well to refer to these verses as, as describing the happy exchange. But the Apostle Paul is simply showing us here what we find throughout the Scriptures, and that's the reality that God in Christ has not brought about this reconciliation begrudgingly. It's not as though God's hands were, were tied behind His back. It's not as though reconciling us to himself was something that the Father was hard-pressed to do. When he saw us in our sin and misery, when he saw Adam and Eve hiding in the garden and trembling all over, there was absolutely no reluctance on God's part. It's not as though he and the Son were somehow at odds with each other. It's not as though the Son had to twist the Father's arm, go and find them. But all this was and is of God. 
our reconciliation was conceived and born in the love of the Father, and it was all according to His own good pleasure. For God the Father so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It was God the Father, our confession tells us, who sent His Son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed in order to bear in it the punishment of sin by His most bitter passion and death. The author of our reconciliation is like that father from our Lord's parable, the father of the prodigal son who, who seeing his wayward son from a long ways off, ran out to meet him, to embrace him. And so just as it was God who in his justice said in Isaiah chapter 1, all sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, of people who are utterly estranged, alienated, at enmity with me, it was also God himself who said in his mercy just a few verses later, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I shall make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Beloved, this is who God is. Perfectly merciful and very just. This is what he proclaimed to Moses on the mountain in Exodus 34 where he came down and, and said to Moses, proclaim the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation." The author of our reconciliation is perfectly merciful and very just. And yet for God to be both these things, for God to maintain both His justice and His mercy, we know that in dealing with our sins, God could not simply turn a blind eye towards our sins. He couldn't simply act like it hadn't happened. He couldn't simply wink at our sins. But in order for God's righteous character to, character to be maintained, the penalty against our sin still had to be paid. We were God's enemies, hostile towards Him in our hearts. We were followers of the prince of the power of the air. We wanted nothing to do with Him. And in His justice, He couldn't have anything to do with us, for His wrath was indeed against us. And so, as we see that God is the author of our reconciliation, we see also that Christ is the agent of it. Christ is the one who, who brings this reconciliation about through His atoning death on the cross. And that's what Paul is saying to us here. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says it the same way in Romans chapter 5. While we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. From these passages, we learn that the Father himself took the initiative to reconcile, and he did so in and through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice, congregation, also the way in which Paul indeed speaks of this, all in the past tense. That when it comes to our reconciliation, we're talking about something that has already been accomplished. To quote one writer, the work of reconciliation in the sense of the New Testament is a work which is finished, which we must conceive to be finished before the gospel is preached. Reconciliation is not something which is being done, it is something which is done. No doubt there is a work of Christ which is in process, but that work has as its basis a finished work. And so it is in virtue of what Christ has already done that God makes His appeal to us to be reconciled to Him. A reconciliation is not something that's tentative. It's not something that is only halfway done. That's, that's lacking that we have to fill up the rest of the way to earn God's good graces. But it's something that is finished. It's accomplished. And Christ would have us to be sure of that this afternoon. This is why He spoke in the way that He did from the cross in John chapter 19. We find there in verse 28 that after this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, that all was accomplished, he could have breathed his last right there. All was finished. All was accomplished. But to fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. And after he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I submit to you this afternoon, congregation, that Christ didn't say that for his own sake. But he said, it is finished for our sake. Because he wanted us to know, because he wanted you to know, in no uncertain terms, that the work of redemption had been accomplished. Before his dying breath, Jesus had one more sermon to preach. Three words in our language, it is finished, but only one word in the original, teletestai, it is finished. And I point this out because that word is never before used in John's whole gospel until here in John 19. Because as the agent of our redemption, Christ always had more work to do. But now His work is finally done. And before He breathes His last, He would have His disciples and the whole world to know that. And so he preaches this one-word sermon, not for his own benefit, but for our benefit, for your benefit. So that even when you have fallen into sin yet again and committed that sin that, that you thought you'd never commit again, that it's not as though you have to earn your way back into the Father's good graces, but Christ has already accomplished that for you. He's already paid the penalty in full. The Father's justice has been satisfied. All your sins, past, present, and future, all your sins have been 
charge to Christ. And all his righteousness, his active obedience, and his passive obedience, the life he lived and the death he died, has been credited to your account. We sang the words from Psalm 85, love and truth have met together peace and righteousness embrace. And what Paul is showing us here is that those words find their fulfillment at the cross of Jesus Christ, the agent of our reconciliation. It was there at the cross that the truthfulness of God's word, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. It's that the truth of God's word met peace. And the love that flowed from God's heart was there at the cross of Christ that righteousness and peace embraced. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is why Paul seeks to persuade others, saying the love of Christ controls us. We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. On the basis of Christ's finished work, Paul makes his appeal, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. After Martin Luther rediscovered the truth of justification by faith alone, he later reflected on these words in 1 Corinthians 5.21, writing to a monk who was in distress over his sin. And he wrote to him saying, learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness, just as I am your sin." You have taken upon yourself what was mine, and you have given to me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. God made him to be sin. Christ knew nothing of sin. God made him to be sin. God made Christ to be a curse for us, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This really is the greatest exchange that there ever was or ever will be. This is the happy exchange authored by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. And This is why the apostle is compelled as an ambassador of Christ Himself to say, working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, in a favorable time, I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The imagery Paul is using here is that of an emissary of the king. The message is not his own, but the message that he brings, he brings in the king's name and with the king's authority. Paul speaks in these verses on Christ's behalf. Even as I do, he speaks not with a message of his own, but a message that has been given to him by the king to proclaim. We are ambassadors for Christ. God 
making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Today is the day of salvation, says Paul. There is a sense of, of urgency in his writing. For he knows that while today is the day of salvation, tomorrow might not be. Now is the favorable time. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Through the preaching of the word, God implores you, be reconciled to him. He makes his appeal to you. As the prophet says in Isaiah 30, verse 18, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, says the prophet, but blessed are those who wait for him. In his grace, God comes to his enemies. He comes to you and me with terms of peace. Saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and look to him in faith. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. These words, of course, were written by the Apostle Paul. We also recognize that out of that special care that God had for us and for our salvation, these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Take them to heart. Cling to them. Rest assured knowing that in Christ... Rebel sinners like you and me have received reconciliation. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you again in this confidence that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Father, we recognize that when you see us, you do not see us in our sin, but you see us as those who are robed in the righteousness of Christ, that all that is his you have granted and credited to us as if we had never sinned nor been sinners. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this way as the author of our reconciliation. We thank you that you have satisfied your justice in the cross that it need not be satisfied against us. And we thank you for the goodness and mercy that you have poured out upon us. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry of reconciliation. That the message of reconciliation is preached here and throughout the world. Father, we pray for those who have not yet taken heed of this call. Implore them, Lord, to be reconciled unto yourself. To look to Christ and to find in him everything they need for life and life eternal. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.